from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God.
Our New Testament reading comes from Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Please turn with me to page 181 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasures of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in him, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and gather up things, in, gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who are the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, this is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is such a joy for us to have children here in worship with us. But if you'd like now, children aged four through third grade, um, can head to these doors to meet Miss Sarah Kate to head over to Godly Play, and you can pick them up in the worth room after worship. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Samuel, and we're in chapter 6. We're beginning with verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump to verse 12. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David weeping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, may this time of worship open our hearts and our minds to your workings in our lives and in this world. In your spirit, help us to hear your word anew so that we can be your people here in our communities. Amen. Reading this text over the last several days has been a bit of a different experience for me. It was almost like the format of the movie Memento, maybe you've seen it, where following an incident, the main character is left unable to form any new short-term memories. So he's trying to figure out who killed his wife, but he can't remember anything that he's learned in the process. So he has to leave himself clues with pictures of things and notes and tattoos. The way the movie is made, we get shown the very end of the story and then slowly work our way backwards, learning what led to the each scene and learning how the pieces of this large puzzle fit together. For me, with this text in Samuel, I've been sitting with it and asking questions and having to go back and learn about all the different pieces that got us to where we are in David's story. At first glance, there's nothing that's terribly confusing or troubling about what's going on in this part of 2 Samuel. To make this kind of long story short, David is bringing the ark into Jerusalem. That's basically all that's happening. But as I continued to explore this story, more and more questions kept popping up. And even though we've been working our way through these volumes of Samuel this summer, this particular story has some callbacks that we either haven't covered or that predate the rest of this book. And these callbacks and what they remind us of force us to recognize the humanity of these people of God. They force us to see that the people in Scripture are people, like you and like me, and they make mistakes, and they don't always do the best things. There's a sort of ambiguity of goodness that's present in this text that is also present throughout David's life that I think we sometimes choose to ignore, preferring to think of David as a righteous king, a devout follower of God who rules absolutely with justice and mercy all the time. But that isn't the case, and that's okay. I think we need to be comfortable asking questions of Scripture because we gain so much truth in looking at Scripture with honesty 
and a desire to see how it continues to help us grow in God. We can ask hard questions to help us better understand what a text might mean for us today, recognizing that there are flaws and hurts present in the stories of these people. Asking questions will only enhance our understanding of God, even if those questions might seem to damage the pristine image that we've created of our faith. When I was reading through this text, the first questions I asked were about the ark. Where exactly is it coming from? A couple different places are named. How did it end up in those places? When was the last time we've even seen this ark? It's been a little while. It made an appearance back in 1 Samuel um, chapters 4 to 6, where its presence brought trouble to the Philistines after they took it from the Israelites. And the statue of the Philistines' God was destroyed by the ark, and the people were overcome with illness and death. And because of that, because of the trouble it brings them, they decide to return the ark to the Israelites. But then even the Israelites don't know what to do with this ark. They decide to hide it in a house at Kiriat Jerem. And so the ark's power and the rules of how we are supposed to engage it are mysterious and dangerous at this point in the story. And other than that semi-brief appearance in Samuel and some conquests in the book of Judges, we're really just left with where the ark came from. And so the ark is basically a box. It was built to carry the two tablets of the Ten Commandments with two cherubs on top that for form a sort of seat for God. It led the processional of the people of God through the wilderness and came with them when they crossed the Jordan into Canaan, helping lead their conquests of the land like when they took Jericho. Remember, Joshua had his instructions from God to march around the city with priests carrying the ark and on the seventh day of marching, they blew their trumpets, and the walls of the city fell down so the Israelites could capture it. So before our story this morning through Scripture, we've seen the ark in these various military contexts and serving as a locale for God's presence. There are things about this story of the ark that we might find troubling, and there are things that I think can help us in our modern faith. In these modern times, I find the use of the ark as a type of war machine to be troubling. There's something about the whole, with God on our side, we can do anything we want mentality. I think there's a lot we can do with God on our side, but if we cross a line into using God for violence and exploitation and oppression and other forms of harm, then we can no longer claim that we are on God's side. We need to orient ourselves to God and not let what we want to happen in the world dictate our theology. Something that I really like about this story of the ark and its significance for the people in their journeys is how it serves as a physical reminder of God's presence among them. The ark was built to be a literal seat for God. It takes its place at the head of the marching column or in the tabernacle. And as the Israelites moved through the desert and eventually into Canaan, the ark was a reminder that there is always a place for God among them. God always had a seat and a place of honor in the procession. 
For a people forced to wander for 40 years, I can only imagine the comfort and the sense of place that this box brought to them. While we have those stories where the Ark serves in a more active role, helping in battles and causing problems for those who don't treat it right, much of its life in scripture is as a guide. The people of Israel, after leaving the confines of Egypt and eventually going on to establish their own kingdoms under Saul and David, have this Ark to place as the focal point of their communal life. Having a physical reminder of God's presence is something that people have been creating for millennia. That's why we have art and jewelry and cairns and other structures that we built as reminders that God is with us. That's why we have an entire summer devotional series dedicated to the covenant God makes with us. We can order our lives around God and God's call for justice and peace. And having a physical symbol or some other reminder can help us to keep on God's path for us. The next big questions I asked when I was reading this passage in 2 Samuel were about the character Michal. Why exactly is she unhappy with David, despising him in her heart? Why doesn't she agree with what he's doing, bringing the ark into the city? And who exactly is she? Michal is Saul's daughter, and she was married to David. At one point, it's said that she loves David, but we never read that that love was reciprocated. At one point after David makes Saul angry, Saul marries Michal off to another man. But as David gains more power and the role of king is open to him, he demands that Michal be returned to him so that she can become his wife again. When we get to this text from this morning, I think it's now maybe less of a surprise that Michal reacts to David in the way she does. We read, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Without the whole backstory, we could use this verse as a judgment of Michal against David's authentic joy and worship of God as the ark comes into the city. I can imagine someone saying that we shouldn't be afraid to dance and move and worship. But our reading this morning cuts out another important piece of their story. We ended our reading at verse 19, but the chapter continues through 23. And those four verses are dedicated to Michal confronting David. She tells him that he was shameless in his display. And David responds by telling her that he was chosen to rule over her family and her father's house, and that for this he will be held in honor. And I think it begins to make more sense how Michal looks at him from the window. She's been treated horribly by David over the years of their relationship, essentially serving as a trading piece of power um, with Saul. There are many stories of women being treated unjustly in scripture, but this one gets told in so many little chunks that when we get to this conclusion, we can read it without realizing the depth of it. King David isn't perfect. Michal is not perfect. We are not perfect, and that's okay. God remains with us. Following these interactions with Michal, the last big questions I had in this morning's text 
were about David's sacrifices and offerings. It seems to me that David is finally doing what he needs to as a king. Bringing the ark into Jerusalem, okay, is he doing it so that they can be closer to God, or is he doing it to hopefully gain some sort of military edge? I don't know. And then learning about his story with Michal and how he's treated her through the years just brings more questions. But now David is feeding everyone in the city. From the time of their wandering in the desert with the ark, feeding everyone, including the alien, the orphan, and the widow, was built into the way of being a follower of Yahweh. And now, as king, David is living into that part of their faith. Once the ark is in Jerusalem, David turns his faith into action. He lives into those tenets of our faith that we still hold on to today. They gather, they worship, they offer to God, David blesses the people, and they end with a time of feeding. Just in the last couple of months, since vaccines have become more available, the young adults of this church community have really started leaning in to spending time together in person. People had been gathering outside with masks through most of the pandemic when it felt safe, but we've avoided indoor gatherings basically for 16 months. And this week, our couples group ate dinner together around one table inside someone's home. And the joy and the love shared in that time together were so wonderful to be a part of. Now that we're moving into this new way of being, the practice of communal eating, of breaking bread together, is something that I can't wait to do more and more of. Sharing meals has always played a central role in our faith. One of our two sacraments is about sharing a meal together. And it builds community unlike anything else when we share meals. And when people of faith gather to share a meal, I find that the Holy Spirit fills those spaces with so much energy. And you can see it in the laughter and the love and the honesty and the compassion that we all feel. By ending his procession with a meal for the entire people, I think King David is doing a really great job bringing the people together for the right reasons. Not only is he making sure that everyone has what they need in eating, but they're centering God in this meal. They're uniting their life as a community with their life of faith. And each time that I've gotten to share a meal with people from this congregation, it has been a gift. And through the pandemic, each of those meals and coffees has just been even more special. I hope that going forward, we can continue to celebrate the ways that food and sustenance can bring people together. There's a lot of ambiguity in David's life. There are moments of real goodness and faith, and there are moments where we are challenged by his actions and decisions. And this passage, when we take a closer look at it, reveals the ways that those two parts of David's life come together. But the ark is not an easy thing to consider. It's troubling to think of what it was used for, but it can also help us relate to God in a new and special way. And David's story with Michal might hit a little too close to home for some of us. It is such a real human relationship with love and pain woven throughout it that we're forced to consider that David was also a human 
not this legend or this pure hero. And in the end, we come to this moment where David does well. He seeks justice for his people, sharing food with everyone, blessing them in the name of the Lord. We fall short of the glory of God all the time. That's what it means to be human. But to be Christian means that when we fall, we continue to seek God and to follow God in all that we do. For the faith and the energy to continue seeking God, I give thanks to God. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.